we would invite our littles to head out to Children's Church. I know the room looks like this is Children's Church, but wait till tomorrow, wait till tomorrow. If you are from nursery all the way up to second grade, you can head out the doors to Children's Church. For the rest of you, you get to stay in space with me for a few more minutes. It is always exciting to get to VBS Sunday. I always like this day. We, and if we spend almost the whole week here uh, decorating, I know a lot of you have been here all week. Several of you have come in and out and been here as much as you are available. And, and it's, it's always amazing to me because after like day one, this place is a mess. And, and I, every time day one, when it's all said and done, I, uh, I look at uh, the, the building and I'm like, ooh, I don't know how I feel about this. And then day two, it's a little bit better. And then by day three, it's starting to look like space. And, and like some of the, the piles of things and the decorations are starting to actually go where they're supposed to go. And all of that stuff is happening. And so by day three, it's like, okay, okay. And then by day four and five, you start to see more and more go up and you really get to start seeing the creativity of, of, of Brittany. And before that, Karen um, was here. First time I ever came here to Tunnel Hill and we got to VBS, this, this was New York skyline and it went way high up in the air. And I thought, I thought, wow, because my church that I came from, our VBS, they never even decorated for it. They like, they like put a sign up. That was it. And then I come in here and there's, there's New York. And then now I get to stand on stage and I get to preach on the moon. And I, yeah, I can't say too many people have done that. And I've preached in front of castles and I've preached on the moon and I've preached in about 17 different jungles. Never got bit. Pretty excited about that. And so this week we have the opportunity to do vacation Bible school and we are going to space. And you can see from the sign above me that the theme of this year is stellar, shine Jesus light. And I got to thinking about this week and, and, and what that meant. And you know, in space, light is a big deal. In fact, light makes a huge difference when you are in space and, and what you're dealing with and what you're, what you're having to, to accommodate for in space is almost completely contingent on the question, am I in the light or am I not in the light? Because, let me tell you this, it, the temperature in space, if you are in the light, so when, when they're preparing the, the space station or a rocket, or even if they're preparing to do a, a spacewalk or a moonwalk like I'm doing right now, they have, they have to ask the question, am I in the light or I'm out of, out of the light? And if you are out of the light, it, it can be up to, if not more, negative than 250 degrees Fahrenheit. Think about that for a second. If you were on the dark side of the moon, if you, were, um, if you were out in space and say the earth or the moon blocked the sun's light, immediately the temperature around your spacesuit or around your, your ship or space station would be negative 250 degrees. That's cold. However, if you are in the light... It can reach temperatures as high as a positive 250 degrees. In fact, I think it even exceeds that if you, stand, if you spend an extended period in the light of the sun, just in direct sunlight in space, you're, the outside of your suit, the outside of your spaceship will reach, will reach 
degrees exceeding 250 degrees Fahrenheit. That is a 500 degree swing based solely on whether you are in the light or you are out of the light. Imagine how much thought has to go into designing a spacesuit, designing a ship, when you know that something like being in direct sunlight or out of direct sunlight can mean a 500 degree swing. I was reading about how they create the spacesuits like we see our little man with here. And they said the average spacesuit, the modern spacesuit, has 16 layers of insulation for the person inside of it. 16 layers. They say the first three layers are a suit, much like the little orange suit that I had on just a little bit ago, is a suit that they actually strap into, and that suit is designed to keep the air and the oxygen in. On top of that, it has tubes all the way through it filled with water, and those are designed to maintain the temperature of the person in the suit. After those first three layers, there's another layer of just gas. And that gas is there to make sure that regardless of the temperature swing on the outside, the temperature inside the suit and inside those bottom few layers stays the same. Almost everything after that, beyond that, is dealing with making sure it doesn't tear, dealing with radiation, keeping the suit, keeping it from burning. All of these things are related on that one spacesuit, and so much of it is just to address the difference between whether you are in the light or out of the light. In our passage today, Jesus is going to talk about the difference between being in the light and being out of the light. And he is going to to bring out some very interesting points, but he's going to reveal to us today that we can talk about the huge difference about being in the light or out of the light in space. But it is also true that there is a huge difference between in the light and out of the light when it comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at John chapter 3, and we're going to take a break from Deuteronomy. We're going to look at John chapter 3, and John chapter 3 is is really one of my favorite chapters, and not just because it has John 3.16 in it, but I love the scene. I love what's happening, and so I love the fact that we get to read John John 3, I'll get there, don't worry, that we get to read John 3 under a starry sky, because that's exactly where we find ourselves at the beginning. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through to verse 21 so that we can get a full picture of what is going on. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Now the word of God says this. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. 
Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. See, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have, ever, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. And he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the holy, of the, excuse me, of the only begotten son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought of God. Please be seated. So I want to begin just kind of setting the scene for all that happens. This is quite the interaction and quite a, a, an important interaction in the Gospel of John between Jesus and someone else. This was a nighttime meeting that had been set up, by Je- set up for Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee and considered to be one of the rulers of the Jews. And this was not a small title. This was an important thing. Nicodemus was somebody. He was somebody who was viewed as a leader or as a decision maker, a judge, or even a teacher of the the Jewish people. That word is is not a small word. This would have been essentially an official title. Um, In fact, if you go later into the Gospel of of John, um, he's talking and and someone kind of accuses him as being a Galilean as well. And so he was probably the type of guy who spent a significant amount of time in the Galilee area and his job was to be the voice of Jerusalem, the voice of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees to the people up in Galilee. He did. He he made judgments on things. He did inquiries. He um, taught in the synagogue. He was a big deal. His voice and his opinion carried weight within the Jewish establishment. The fact that Nicodemus wanted to speak to Jesus is a big deal as well, and his endorsement would have made Jesus' life tremendously easier. If he would have gotten the seal of approval from Nicodemus, that would have been a seal of approval from the Pharisees and that therefore the Sanhedrin, and he would have been kind of rubber stamped as a official sanctioned itinerant preacher for Israel. But that is not why he's here tonight. 
In fact, what we see from all of this is he has come to Jesus under the cover of darkness. He is doing so so that he has to give no official position nor any official opinion about who Jesus is and what the work of this itinerant preacher from Galilee is doing. But then he says something very, very interesting. Look again at verse 2. He says, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that they do unless God is with them. Now, you will never hear another Pharisee say these words. And, and, and it's really pretty shocking that he says that. And the fact that he uses that we, we know, is very interesting. See, Nicodemus is, is kind of in with the, the, the Pharisees, and he knows that. And he knows that at this point, everybody's looking at the miracles that Jesus is performing. They're hearing about what he's saying in his teachings. And, and, and behind closed doors, they're saying, this guy might be legit. And whether the Pharisees sent Nicodemus or Nicodemus went on his own, which is what I would tend to believe, he goes to Jesus and says, listen, we know that something is up. And he, and he kind of gives this idea that, that, that we're, we're coming to the reality. We're, we're pretty convinced that you are from God because of the signs and wonders and all that you are teaching. And, and he says all this, but Jesus' response is really interesting. Because he makes a statement. If you think about it, if you think about it, Nicodemus makes a statement. We know that you're from that that you must come from God, that you must be a teacher of God, because no one can do these signs and wonders. But then if you go to the next verse, it says, And Jesus answered. Well, you look again at verse two and you go, I don't see a question. What is he answering if if he didn't really ask a question? And I think the reality is, is that Nicodemus was asking a question. But he was too scared to really ask it out loud. See, he wanted to know something about Jesus and he wanted to know something from Jesus, but he was too scared to really ask it because he knew once he asked the question, if the question got answered, he would have to make a choice. You ever do that? You ever have something that you need to know the answer to, but you know that the answer is going to change everything? And so you're scared to ask it? And you're afraid that once you ask it, everything will change? Has anybody here had to determine the relationship talk with their significant other? That is one of the most frightening things in the world, and not a guy in this room has ever sounded cool asking a girl, will you be my girlfriend? I miss the day, some of you, some of you more experienced, seasoned people in the room, y'all used to say, going steady. Who said going steady? Nobody's going to raise their hand because of how I described it. That was, oh, thank you, Sherry. You're, you're a real one. Um, <laughs> for all of the internet to hear. Um, but that sounded way cooler. But you know the moment you ask that question, it is going to have a huge impact on that relationship. Because if you say, do you want to go steady? And they say, no, you have a problem. But if they say yes, then you may still have a problem. It's just later down the road. 
And I think that's what's happening here. Nicodemus is at Jesus. He's talking with Jesus. He makes this statement. And there's a question that he wants to ask, but he's too scared to ask it. And Jesus, being Jesus, who knows the hearts of men and knows what they're thinking, he just answers it for him. So what, what could possibly the question be? Well, if we look at Jesus' answer, I think we can figure out the question. Go back to verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The question that Nicodemus wanted answered was this. What must I do to see the kingdom of God? I can only imagine the longing that Nicodemus had felt. What had brought him to this encounter and this deep desire to ask this question? Nicodemus had followed the law his whole life, had probably spent his entire life in training to be a Pharisee, to be a ruler, to know the law better than anyone else. He had been taught the scriptures as a child, taught to memorize them, not only the scriptures, but all of the rabbinic teachings, all of the things that that people before him and before him and before him had, had taught from years on down. He had made judgments, guided an entire community, achieved almost all that you could possibly achieve as a Pharisee in this day and age, and yet he He still wanted to experience the kingdom of God. He wanted to feel the closeness of God. He wanted to know that God was near him. See, he'd done all of the work and he knew all the letter of the law. But up to this point, God was something that that was read about on pages written by people for generations and generations, but he wanted more than than a God in a book. He wanted to experience the one true God, to see the kingdom of God at work around him. And that is what drew him to Jesus this day. This is what Jesus was answering for him before he even asked. He tells Nicodemus, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this statement is, is something that, that we kind of take for granted. Because we've grown up in this, in this Southern Baptist, evangelical, cr- Christian world. And, and for the most part, nobody here is going to be shocked by the statement, you must be born again. Because you've heard it. You've probably heard it your own life, your, your whole life. I remember being a small child and, and, and every once in a while my parents would play music for me and my brother. We were young elementary school age and this was a, a, a back in a day when records were used not because they just sounded cool but because that's all that existed. And my dad would play us a, a, this Christian kids album, my mom and my dad, and it was called Bullfrogs and Butterflies. Does anybody remember that song? Is this a weird Missouri thing? Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Bullfrogs and butter, Butterflies, they've both been born again. And so from as a child, I have always kind of heard these words about being born again and thought of bullfrogs and butterflies. If you don't understand what's going on, talk to your parents. 
But in this moment, in this moment, Nicodemus has never heard anything like this before. In fact, no one has ever said anything like this before. He has no idea what on earth he is talking about. Jesus tells him, truly, truly, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And suddenly Nicodemus comes to the reality that the one thing in life he wants most, he has no idea how to get it. And so he, he, he responds to Jesus. And, and, and what may sound silly to us made perfect sense to Nicodemus and probably to all those who are listening when he says, like, do you mean literally? Like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be born again? Is there some, is there some ritual that has to take place? Do, do I literally have to be in some way, shape, or form born again? All of it sounds like nonsense. And what, what, what Nicodemus says sounds like nonsense to us. But what Jesus had said to Nicodemus sounded like nonsense to him. And to this, Jesus clarifies what he means by giving him just a little bit more information in verse 5. And if we look again at at verse 5, he says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. You'll notice a a progression of how Jesus talks about this kingdom of God or this kingdom of heaven stuff. And I'm going to explain that to you for just a second. But I want you to understand this right now. Jesus gives Nicodemus a little bit more. And he makes this statement about uh, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he, he can't see the kingdom of heaven. He can't he can't be born again. And to a guy like Nicodemus who's trained in in the scriptures and has memorized more scripture than probably everyone else in the room combined, this would have immediately drawn to mind scripture. And, and, And I'll put this as just a little plug, though this isn't in my notes. Memorizing scripture is good. A lot of times we live in a day and age, and I understand this, where we have the Bible in our pocket at all times, right? I would venture all of us probably have some sort of Bible app on our phones, if anything, just because we like to know that it's there. And so, but the bad side of that is sometimes we think that because we have a Bible app on our phone, we don't need to memorize Scripture. But what we can see from Nicodemus is because he had Scripture memorized, the things that Jesus was saying actually held more weight and more meaning. He understood it better because he had taken the time to memorize Scripture. And I just say this as a challenge to you. Memorize some Scripture. It may serve you well as you're in the the high school classroom or the office situation or around your family or around your in-laws. You might need some Bible in that brain of yours. And he says this, he says, unless he is born of water and of the Spirit... He cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And this would have called to mind Nicodemus the words of the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36 says this, he says, Then I will sprinkle you, excuse me, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe all of my ordinances. See, Ezekiel is talking about 
the new covenant. And he's spe- or, and when Jesus makes this reference, he is telling Nicodemus that the new covenant is being ushered in and that there is going to be a, a new reality between Israel and God and ultimately the entire world and God. And it is through this being washed with water, this being made clean, and then being filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, that the prophecy that Ezekiel is giving to us in this passage is being fulfilled. And that if Nicodemus will receive it and will experience this, that he will most certainly see the kingdom of God and enter into the kingdom of heaven. But this still leads Nicodemus to a very important question. He says, how? Look again at verse 9. He says, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Now, I don't believe for a millisecond here that Nicodemus doesn't believe Jesus. I think he does. I think he's, he's in. He's locked into what Jesus is saying, and he is trying to, to work these things out in his head. He knows that the truth is here and he is trying to understand the truth and all of these things and, and he wants so desperately to, to see and experience the kingdom of God and he knows Jesus is trying to tell him that and he says, listen, this is about Ezekiel and this is about being washed clean and given the Holy Spirit and, and, and being transformed. He goes, but how? How can this be? He's still kind of back at that question, what do I need to do? How is this possible? And to a degree, Jesus kind of scolds him for it. Because this is a man who is supposed to be teaching other people. He's supposed to have the word and teach the word to all those around him. This guy was probably the spiritual juggernaut of Galilee. And yet, as Jesus is, is giving him the breadcrumbs to the gospel, he can tell that Nicodemus is not getting it. And finally, he tells him plainly, The answer to the question, what must I do to see the kingdom of God? And we see that in verses 14 and 15. He says, as as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. As I mentioned before, there are three terms that we see, really four terms that we see that that relate to what the question that Nicodemus is asking. Nicodemus and the question that he didn't ask, but Jesus answered is, what must I do to see the kingdom of God? We see it again in in what it must be to, to enter into the kingdom of God. So there's see the kingdom of God, there's enter into the kingdom of God, and then we see here there is there is eternal life. And then lastly, we'll see in verse 21 in just a bit of, of what it means to come into the light. All of these things are talking about the same thing and all of them carry with them the same extremes that we mentioned at the beginning of our time together. See, you are either in the kingdom of God or you are outside of the kingdom God of God and part of the earthly kingdom. You either have eternal life or you are perishing. We see this in John three sixteen, or you are in the light or you are in darkness. 
And to the question of how can this be? What's the difference? What, what is going to make that change in my life so that I might be born again, that I might see the kingdom of God, that I might have eternal life, that I might walk in the light? What is the thing that brings me into the light? What is the thing that will allow me to be a part of the kingdom of God? And Jesus answers that question when he says, believe. Look again. Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so that the Son of Man must be lifted up. For whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son in the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this word believe, is, it's all about this, and it's all about this belief. Did Nicodemus really that Je- believe that Jesus was from God? He said it. He said, I believe that you are a teacher from God. We believe that you are a teacher from God. Because no one could do the things that you could do. And he takes it once and goes, okay, if you believe that I am a teacher from God and God has given me the ability to do what I do, let me stretch that one step further. Will you believe that I am more than a teacher from God? Will you believe that I am more than a prophet from God? Will you believe that I am the Son of the Most High? that I am the only begotten of the Father and that I have come to save the world from judgment. And maybe the even more important question today is, can you believe that? And there's a funny thing about the word belief in the original language. So that word belief had a range of meaning. And in one sense, it meant just believe. I say something, you believe that what I said was true. But there's a little bit more to that word than often we usually think with the word believe. And it's like, do you believe me enough to trust me? Do you believe me enough to follow me, to do what I say? Do you believe me enough to trust that I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. And we get this. If you've had kids, you get this. And it could be something as, as simple as when you're standing in the pool and your kid is on the outside of the pool and they're not a sure swimmer and you say, jump, I'll catch you. See, belief has to come with trust at that point, doesn't it? That not only I believe that you say you're going to catch me, but I also believe that you can and will and are going to to catch me, and therefore I trust you enough to jump. By contrast, you may have a teenager who says, this is what I'm going to do. And you say, no, you're not. And they'll say, why don't you believe me? And you'll say, oh, I believe that you're going to do what you say you're going to do, but I don't trust you to only do what you say you're going to do. See, those words go together, don't they? 
And what Jesus is calling Nicodemus into is more than just a willing, an acknowledgement of the facts, but to say, will you trust me? Will you trust me with your life? Will you trust me with your future? Will you trust me enough to follow me? This brings us to the final portion of this passage, and it's the part that really deals with this idea of light and darkness. So as we get to the end there, he, he, he switches to, in verse 19, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And he's talking about himself, make no mistake. But I don't think there's an accident that he starts bringing up light and darkness when he's meeting with Nicodemus at night. I think he's driving home the point that, that, the, that this question of what must I do to see the kingdom of God, that, that what's happening here is, is conflicting with that. See, he's driving this home, if you remember, that, that all of this is happening within the cover of darkness. And it's because, for Nicodemus, it's safer to meet with Jesus at night. He doesn't have to worry about what the Pharisees think. He doesn't have to worry about making a decision. He doesn't have to, to, to really, he doesn't feel like he really needs to decide whether Jesus is the Son of God or he is just some preacher. He preferred to meet Jesus in a way that meant he did not have to take a position. And as we look at these final verses, we recognize that. In fact, look specifically at verse 20. He says this, For everyone who does evil hates the light and and does not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. That is exactly why Nicodemus is with Jesus right now at night in the cover of darkness because he is afraid that by going to Jesus, people will find out about it and he's going to have to deal with it. Jesus is challenging Nicodemus to make a choice, either to step out of the darkness and come into the light or to remain in darkness where he will never see the kingdom of God. He is telling Nicodemus, no longer do you have the option of being in the middle. No longer can you, can you say that you believe me, but keep it in the dark. But you can either come into the light or you have to remain in darkness. This goes back to that, that thing of how can these things be and how does one step into the light? How does one come out of the darkness into the light? And it is by believing that Jesus is the Son. And that remains the truth today as well see the difference between staying in darkness and coming to the light is the difference between staying in your sins or being redeemed it is the difference between staying in this world or being born again it is the difference between seeing the kingdom of god or dying in your sins separated from god for all time Peter says it this way, he says that when we respond to the gospel that Jesus calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light, that we are made to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. But that only happens if we step out of the darkness into the light and profess Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. We cannot live secret lives. We cannot be a Christian under the cover of darkness. But we must commit ourselves to the things of God.
And guess what? Nicodemus did that. Probably one of my favorite things about Nicodemus is we have this interaction in John 3, and then we can go all the way to John 19 and read these words. After the crucifixion, it says that after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and the garden was a new tomb, which no one had ever been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. When all was said and done, Nicodemus was willing to risk it all to carry a hundred pounds of aloes and spices to take the body of Jesus and prepare it and to play it to rest in a tomb. I really truly believe that he made a public statement in doing that. I am fairly certain that you cannot carry a hundred pounds of aloe through the city of Jerusalem and not get noticed. And here Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews went took the body of the accused and prepared it for burial. God is calling us to this same kind of faith. He's calling us to trust him, to believe, and to step into the light so that we may be followers of him. And as our little sign says, that we might shine Jesus' light into the nations. If you are with us today and you are still in darkness, maybe you are much like Nicodemus and you have come here really kind of under the cover of night. No one maybe really knows you're here, but the person that came with you, you're still trying to search these things out and figure out what's true. And there's a chance that this Jesus thing might be legit, but you're not sure. I want to challenge you today. Give your life to Jesus. Trust in him and step into the light. For many of us here today, we've done those things. And yet we still want to keep dipping our toe in the darkness. We still want to kind of go back and do the things that we did in the darkness. We still want to hold on to some of those evil deeds that Jesus talked about. We still, we want to be in the light and we say that we are in the light. And we're in the light in a lot of places except maybe one or two. Maybe it's school. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's among your friends. Maybe it's at your practices, whether they are play practices or sports practices. You find yourself slipping into the darkness in those places, wanting to be an undercover Christian, wanting to not have to take a stand. My challenge for you today is to come into the light to trust and believe and let your light shine for other people to see. As we close our time in prayer this morning, I want to challenge you. 
If God is calling you to step into that light, maybe it's through, through faith in Christ and salvation, or maybe it's just taking that step and coming into the light in a more meaningful way so that you can shine Jesus' light for others. However God is leading you today, I would encourage you as we close our time in prayer, you are welcome to come up to the steps and lift that up to the Lord. You are welcome to sit at your seat and just instead of singing, be praying to God that he would work in you. If you need to talk to me, I'll be here. But let today be the day that in some way and in some form, you step into the light. Let's pray. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we thank you for who you are and all that you do. Lord, we praise you for for Nicodemus. And God, what a tremendous testimony he has. And God, I get it. I get being hesitant to to fully commit to who you are and, and what that means for our lives. God, I get not wanting to to fully do that, to fully surrender myself and my will, that that wanting to hold on to a little bit of this world because I'm afraid that things may not work out. But God, I pray that each and every one of us would, would see what Nicodemus longed for. And God, I pray that we would see that longing in ourselves, that longing for to see the kingdom of God, to know our meaning, to know our purpose, to know why we are here, God. And I pray that our desire for that would override our hesitations. And God, that we would trust you. And that we would surrender our lives to Jesus. God, I know for some people in this room, that means doing it for the very first time, surrendering our hearts and our wills to you and and coming to saving faith, the stepping out of the darkness into marvelous light through faith in Christ Jesus. Lord, I know for some of us that just means stepping more fully into the light to put away the, the, the things of the flesh and the things of this world that we still keep wanting to hold on to and to walk into that light and to recognize that we will only be satisfied in you. And God, I pray that you would just transform us. That you would cause us to be all the things that you describe in this passage, that we will be born again, that we will be in the light, that we will have eternal life, and that we will enter into the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that you would speak this to each and every one of our hearts today so that our desires would be put to action in submission to your will. And God, we ask these things in the precious name of Christ Jesus. Amen.